And happy Valentine's Day. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, you guys, you did something for your wife, right? Yeah. My wife took me out for dinner. That's what she did. So that was... Well, this year we're talking about thriving and what it really means to thrive in our relationship with God. I find sometimes we want the thriving to be easy. You know? We think, if I could give $100 worth of effort, I should get a million dollars worth of return, right? Somehow it's kind of we think, just give a little bit here and get a lot more back. But thriving doesn't work that way. In our relationship with God, it just won't happen. And so we want to look at a passage of scripture that begins to help us see how we work with God to help us thrive. Psalms 37, verses 3 through 6. It says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn and the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. And that verse 6 is about thriving. Your righteousness shining like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. I want to walk through these verses this morning. So if you have your Bible, you can keep them open. But I just want to walk through them and look at them. The first verse says, trust in the Lord and do good. And the very first word that stands out is trust, right? Trust. And trusting it can be an interesting concept and a fun concept and a hard concept. The Hebrew word for trust is batak, and it means to rely upon, to let your security be in, or later to trust in. So we're to rely totally upon the Lord. He is to be our security. He's to be the one that, that, we, that we rest fully in. So, it makes me stop and say, you know, am I secure in the Lord? Is He really my security? Not my security blanket, my security. You see, if I'm secure in the Lord... But I understand some things. I, first of all, don't need to become anything different than what I am. I am a child of God, right? Three of us are. We're children of God, amen? Amen, we are, right? I'm a child of God. That's my identity. And so I don't need to be threatened by other people, other people's opinions, other people's ideas, other people's concept. My water bottle abandoned me there. And I'm free to let go of addictive behavior. Now, I'm not talking about alcohol and drugs and those kind of things. There's some addictive behavior that we get involved in. Things like being defensive. You ever get defensive? Feel anxious? Feel worried? Feel threatened? Have to be in control. I won't ask how many control freaks out here. Right? Because I don't want you to... Be critical, be demanding. All these things can be, uh, can be things that, that, that are def- defense issues, that, that are things that uh, cause us to be addictive to certain feelings and certain things. But if my identity is no longer in me, if my del- identity is no longer in what I want or what I feel, and it's in Jesus Christ, I can let go of those things. That's freeing. Jesus came to set us free. Amen? And when I'm free, then I thrive. So where is your security? That's the question, isn't it? Where's your security? This is based on true stories, okay? In China, when the security police come, security police, catch that, come to the house of a believer, okay? They'll tell him, okay, you have to stop these, these meetings here. If you don't stop these meetings, we'll confiscate your house. And this is what happens many, many times. 
the owner will say, do you really want my house or do you really want my farm? Well, if you do, you have to talk to Jesus because I gave everything to him. They'll say, well, we can't get to Jesus, but we can surely get to you. So if you don't, we're going to take your property. And this Christian will say, well, then I'm certainly going to be free to trust in Jesus where I live, right? I'm free to trust him to provide for me. And they'll say, well, you know what we'll do? We're going to beat you. They say, well, then I'm free to trust in Jesus for my healing. Well, then we're going to throw you in prison. And they'll say, well, then I'm free in prison to preach the good news to the people in prison and lead them to Jesus and we'll become a house church in prison. They say, then we're going to kill you. They say, well, praise God, because then if I'm, I'm killed, I'm free to try, go home to Jesus and celebrate him with the rest of my life. You see, that is security. That's thriving in Jesus. Because whatever the world threatens to do to you, take from you, it's, it's like it's already God's. You're freed from that. You don't have to be controlled by those things. No wonder the church in China is growing by 30,000 believers a week. There's an estimated 100 million Christians right now in China. Because that's what happens. They'll sentence a house, a house church pastor to prison. He'll go to prison. He'll begin to share Jesus with people in prison. And they'll get saved. And when they get released, they go back to all the four corners of China. And they carry the truth of Jesus. And it's just multiplying the church. That's thriving, man. That's thriving. And that's what God offers us. It's the freedom of a secure trust in Jesus Christ. Do you have that kind of security in Jesus? Are you thriving? The second thing this passage says, not only says, it says trust in the Lord, but it says do good. And that word do good means to do what is morally and ethically right. See, if I'm secure in Jesus, then I don't want to rebel against the word of God. I, I can follow what he says. I can do what he teaches. I can forgive my enemies and pray for those who persecute me. I can give to those who ask of me and do not turn away from those who want to borrow from me. Because I'm, I'm a thriving person. I'm free from those things. We are created by God to do good. Do you know that? I would think after seven years you'd kind of get on to the yes, Pastor. Right? Paul says this in, Roman, in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Hear that? He says in, in uh, 1 Timothy 6, Command those who are rich in this present wor- world not to be arrogant, but to put their hope not in their wealth, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides for us everything we need for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, to be willing to share. This way they'll lay up treasures in heaven, a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of life that is truly life. Hear that? He says, look at this. Put your hope in God. If I am secure in Jesus, if I'm trusting in the Lord and I'm doing good, then I have my hope in Him and not in stuff. Think about that. If I'm secure in the Lord, then I don't have to worry about this having stuff. Do you have stuff? I'm amazed at all the storage facilities that are in this world. You know that? I mean, it's like I got so much stuff I can't keep in my house. I have to rent, you know, this storage facility to store stuff in. 
And if I fill that one up, I bring another one. I mean, do we really need all this stuff? Let me, let me tell you something. Just listen closely. When you die, you can't take it with you. That may be a shock to some of you, okay? I know a guy that was buried with a six-pack of beer, but he didn't take it with him. Okay? I've learned that in this life, if I want to thrive, sometimes I have to let go of stuff. I have to realize that my trust is in Jesus Christ alone. Because I've, I've been with people who are at the end of their life. They're just ready to step over that, that bridge from here to heaven. I never once heard him say, boy, I wish I looked a lot longer at the office. I never heard him once say, boy, I wish I had more stuff. I wish I had two more boats right now. I wish I had another cottage at the lake. I hear him say, boy, I wish I would have spent more time with Jesus. I wish I would have spent more time with my wife. I wish I would have told my kids how much I love them and appreciate them. See what I'm saying? If we want to thrive in this relationship with God, we got to learn to do good. We say, what does it mean to do good, Pastor? And I can think of a lot of things. Let me give you a passage of Scripture in Romans 12. Paul gives us a list of things, and it's just it's a list in Romans 12, verses 9 to 21. Listen to what he says. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Let me stop there a minute. He says, you listen to this. Love must come from your heart. He's writing to Christians that were facing severe persecution. Okay? He says, let your love be genuine. Let your love be caring. And notice he says, hate what is evil and not hate who is evil. You catch that? There's a difference. We have a tendency to hate who is evil in our minds. Of course, in their minds, we might be evil, right? You ever notice when you play this game and you got an enemy, the enemy thinks you're evil and you think the enemy's evil, right? But we're to hate what is evil and not who is evil. Paul says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. The word for brotherly love, by the way, is Philadelphia. Ever heard that word? And it means have a close, tender family love for each other. If we are Christians, then we're part of the family of God. Amen? And we're to have a close, tender family relationship with one another. We're together in the family of God. And that means there's going to be differences between us. How many of you have siblings? Brothers or sisters? Yeah. Are you all alike? If you had brothers, did you ever fight with your brothers? Huh? Did you? No? I was the only one? See, I was the oldest, so I could beat them up, you know. But sometimes you have arguments between brothers and sisters, don't you? But they're always going to be your brother or your sister. They're always part of the family. You should be fully devoted to each other. And in the church, there's going to be differences of opinion, differences of ideas. But we still are together. We're still family. We're part of God's family. We express appreciation and love and concern for each other. That's what a family does, isn't it? That's what a family does, isn't it? Thank you. It is. It's what we're called to do. And Paul says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor in Romans 12, 11. That means it speaks about my walk in the Lord. I should have a, a zeal for God. I want to pray. Not I should pray. Right? 
I really long to read the Word of God. I really long to spend time and hear what God would speak to me out of the Bible. I don't even want to read it. I want to kind of study a little bit and see if I can if He can speak to me out of it. And maybe and I'm just going to study it. I'd like to hide His Word in my heart that I might not sin against Him. I want to memorize it, you know. Now, don't tell me you don't memorize things. You do. Okay? I want it to become part of who I am. Because I have this zeal for God. And I just can't wait to worship the Lord. I want to come into His presence with singing. I want to rejoice before Him. I want to honor the Creator and Sustainer and the Redeemer of my life. I want to worship Him at home with my family. I'm going to pray with my wife or my husband. I want to pray together with my kids. I want to celebrate God with them. I have a zeal for God. I want a passion for Jesus. We should, hear me, and don't throw me out. We should have more passion for Jesus than we have for Ohio State football. You're with me on that? I know where I'm at right now, okay? So my tires are flat, I understand. It's like a little boy came home from Sunday school class and his mother said, what was Sunday school all about? He says, I don't know for sure, Mom, but I think, I think it was Jesus' grandma that taught the class. And she says, why? She says, because all she could talk about was Jesus. <laughs> you with me on that one? He hung on a cross for you and me. He shed his blood for you and me. He died in pain, in humility, naked for you and me. He gave it all. He says, if you're going to be my disciple, follow me. Be willing to die for me. Take up your cross and follow me. When you understand that and you begin to live that out, it gives you a zeal. And the word zeal literally means to boil up. The Greek word is zestos, to boil up for Jesus. We should be passionately in love with Jesus Christ. He says, Paul says in Romans 12, 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, Faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. It's the next two verses. Think about that. Are you joyful in hope? Are you patient in affliction? And I like this. It says in, in Romans 12, 13, Share with God's people who are in need. Do you realize in Scripture there's over 100, there's 112 verses that speak about the poor? Those who are destitute? In fact, in James 127, James says this religion that God the Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Now, if God is going to tell you this is pure and flawless religion, what is it? Oh, tithing, going to church all the time, you know, never swearing. Hear this. It's to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. Pure and undefiled religion in the eyes of God is caring for those who have the deepest needs. In that day and age, if a woman wasn't attached to a man... She either starved to death or became a prostitute. That's all she had left to her. And James says, if you really want to be religious in the eyes of God, care for those who have needs. 
the deepest needs, the broken needs, and keep yourself pure from the world. Hmm. Let me finish the rest of these verses. Doing good. Bless those who persecute you and curse not. Think about that. Every time you're persecuted, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to witness for God. Anytime somebody swears at you, gives you the one finger wave, it's an opportunity to be a witness for God or a witness for the devil. And the choice is yours. But I figure if I'm a Christian, I should be witnessing Jesus, shouldn't I? So what would happen if you returned good for evil? What would happen if somebody swears at you and say, well, may God bless you. Go in peace. It kind of messes up their thinking, doesn't it? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Paul's talking about relating to others there. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Catch this. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Romans twelve twenty one. How to do good? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Hear that? We don't overcome evil with evil. We co-overcome evil with good. And, I, and you and I both know, we stand here, look out into our world, listen to the news, and there's a lot of evil in the world. Amen? And there's times I've stood out here in the entryway and we solved all the world's problems. You know, you ever done that? Well, if they would just listen to me, they could balance the budget. Right? I suspect that doesn't help. Just thinking. But if I got involved and started doing good to those who are doing evil, if I start praying for the people I disagree with and asking God to somehow work in their life and bless them, if I start caring for those who are the most wretched, I suspect somehow in that God will work. And can change a life, don't you? If I look at the life of Jesus, the one I claim to follow, that's what he did. He got involved with the life of the lepers. Nobody got involved with the life of the leper. If you had lepers, you had to try you had to go around saying, Leper, leper, unclean, unclean. You had to make sure you walked downwind from everybody. Nobody hugged you or touched you. They would get leprosy, they thought. And what did Jesus do? He touched the leper. Because he believed his holiness could touch their unholiness. He believed the power of the living God could bring cleansing to their lives as he worked through him. And he changed their lives. The spirit of the living God lives in you. If you're a believer of Jesus Christ, he lives in you. And he wants you to be able to take his holiness into an unholy world and make a difference. Our faith's not in us. It's not in me. My faith is in Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life upon a cross for me. 
That's doing good. We go back to the psalm here before we get down here. In Psalms 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord. I like that word. The Hebrew word for delight means to have a deep, excited, exquisite delight. It means I have this intimate communion with God. It means I want to dance with God. I want to shout for God. I want to celebrate God. I'm so happy that I know Jesus. I wish more Christians act like they were happy they knew Jesus. Sometimes we just act like, you know, I don't care what's going on, you know. It's like our soda pop has no fizz kind of thing, you know. You know what I mean? It's like, wow. If I believe in the God of creation, if I believe all these things I'm talking about, shouldn't I have exquisite delight in my relationship with God? Think about that. Then it says in verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. The word commit means to roll over. And the word way means how you live your life. Here's what it means. It speaks to all of our word and actions. The one who commits his way to the Lord and completely casts aside his entire life upon the Lord, totally yielding everything to him, every aspect of his life and how he lives. I am totally committed to everything I do. My attitudes, my speech, my word, my actions, my thinking, my giving, whatever it is, it's totally committed to Jesus Christ. I've rolled everything on him. Commit your way to the Lord, it says, so you want to really get yourself connected with him so you know him and hear him, then he'll give you the desires of your heart. You know why? Because his desires become your desires. All of a sudden, he's working in here to say, you know what? I really don't need that Mustang. Be nice. I probably don't need that. The Lord says, yeah. Would you take a little bit of that money and help me out a little bit? There's some people down here that really are struggling. Just do it anonymously. Just tell them it's from a brother or sister in Jesus. You don't know how you might bless somebody else's life that way. And I suspect, I suspect you get a blessing back. Because whatever you sow, that you shall also reap. Here's what Paul says. Catch this in Philippians 3, 4 through 11. If anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I the more so. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church. But whatever is to my profit, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, Jesus is my Lord. For I have lost all things for his sake. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ. Being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Righteousness comes from God. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing his sufferings, becoming like him in death so that somehow I can attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul looks across his whole life. He says, I look at all my diplomas. I look at all my learning. I look at everything I have, everything I am. And he says, and it's worthless. It's like saying, I have a billion dollar portfolio. Okay? I have a mansion. Where would I have a mansion at? Where? Beverly Hills. I have a mansion in Beverly Hills. I got villas in Aspen, Colorado, and the French Riviera. I drive a Bentley and I got two Porsches in the garage. Yeah, I know. I've got a yacht to sail around the world with. All of that, all of that is, and the word literally means dung. 
Rubbish. The Greek word means dung compared to knowing Jesus. Think about that. Paul looks across his whole life and he says, I want to know Jesus so badly. I want to be so close to him. I want to thrive in this relationship that everything I have in him is nothing compared to knowing Jesus. And I want to know the power of his life in me. I want the power of his resurrection. I want to know the power of his sufferings so that I can become like him. Wow. That's thriving. And we want to say, whoa, 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 that's a little strong, Pastor. That's what he's saying. I consider everything a loss compared to knowing him. Everything. All he wants is to know Jesus. He wants a closer relationship with Jesus more than anything in his life. That's all he wants. And a person who thrives, that's what drives us. It's this relationship with the creator, sustainer, and redeemer, and giver of life. Wow. You see, in this relationship with Jesus that thrives, it's a total commitment. Completely. We had men's prayer breakfast yesterday. We had, so we had breakfast. And part of our breakfast was bacon and eggs. Ah, like, who likes bacon and eggs for breakfast? Yeah. Yeah. I, I try not to eat them too often because something happens here. Okay? But every once in a while it's good. And I'm looking at the bacon and eggs yesterday and I realized something. I realized as you look at a plate of bacon and eggs, the chicken was involved but the pig was committed. You with me on this? Okay? I just want to make sure you understand this. The chicken was involved, but the pig was committed. Got it? Jesus doesn't want us just to be involved with him. Jesus doesn't want us to pop out an egg. There you go, Jesus. Okay? He wants us to give it all, which means giving our life. You got that? Because that's what he did for us. He doesn't just want your involvement. He wants your commitment. Make sense? That's what Paul's talking about. That's what the psalmist is talking about. This is how we thrive. Trust in the Lord and do good. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will do this. He'll make your righteousness shine like the dawn and just have your cause like the noonday sun. You'll thrive. Seems good to me. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. And Father, thank you that you are gracious enough to walk with us even when it's hard. I pray, Lord, for all of us here. You'll show us, Lord, how to thrive in this committed relationship with you. You show us how to really totally commit and not just be involved. Thank you, Father. May you go with us now. Guide us throughout this week. And I pray, Lord, you help us just to dance in your love every day. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. Oh, love that will not let me go. I give thee back the life I owe. 
that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer flow.